Father, I would ask that you would help us to recall these messages, these stories, these little poems, these little proverbs, that you would give us just a heart to retain this information, that we can pass it on to the next generation, that we can remember why we do what we do, why we speak the way that we speak. Because it is you, Lord, who has saved us. It is you who has given us your Holy Spirit that we might be your witnesses here on earth. We thank you for Stephen and his example of that. In Jesus' name, amen. So Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power in Acts chapter 6. He did great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people. And opposition rose because the people were jealous of him. And it came specifically from the synagogue of the freedmen. And they had secretly persuaded men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God, and they produced false witnesses to testify in front of the elders and the teachers of the law. They said, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. They bore false testimony saying, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel so God was working in him and God wanted the people in the Sanhedrin the Jews to listen to what he had to say so this miracle of the radiance of his face was right before him and he is going to go through as I just did the rejection of Joseph the Israelites rejected uh, Joseph the patriarchs did and the Israelites rejected Moses they rejected the prophets they resisted the Holy Spirit and ultimately they rejected the Messiah and because of that he pronounces a judgment on them now God's covenant with Abraham is what we begin with in Acts chapter 7 verse 1 it says then the high priest asked him are these charges true again he was accused of speaking against Moses and God in the temple of the and the law in verses 11 through 13 of the last chapter and God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants to give him the land and he goes on to say to this he replied brothers and fathers listen to me and so he was recognizing we're all Jews here We're all from the same lineage. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans are the people who are from Iraq. There's a lot of Chaldeans in our community here in El Cajon. I think it's one of the largest outside of Iraq. Uh, there are thousands of people over there, and they have a church. It's kind of like a Catholic church, but uh, they are Chaldean Christians. Now, verse 4 talks about them. It says, So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Excuse me. So your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nations they serve as slave, God said. And afterwards, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. 
Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Now, we want to all know, or, or usually we want to know, our ancestry, where we came from. In most families, there's usually one person who likes to look into it. In our family, this was the case. I have a brother. He looked into this. He took us all the way back into Europe, and, you know, you can go a couple of different ways. But we found we had some royalty back there, and uh, there was actually a guy named uh, Johann Frederick Botger that developed porcelain. He was an inventor of porcelain, and there in in um, the porcelain industry, there's this particular handle, and it's called the Botker handle. Uh, and so the name Botker means pot maker, and that's where our uh, family line derives its name from, is from this guy, Johann Frederick Botker. And it goes back a little bit farther. Well, what Stephen is doing here is he's taking the Israelites back to their father Abraham. Now, Abraham is the name that is most recognized throughout all the monotheistic religions in the world, which means most of the population knows who Abraham was when he existed. And remember, Abraham had two sons, and later, after his wife Sarai died, he had some more sons. But there was first Ishmael, and Ishmael was 12 or 13 years old when Isaac was born. And of course, Isaac was the son of the promise, and Ishmael was taken away. He was, he was given some inheritance, sent off with Hagar, and said, go your way, and God blessed him as well. So he is reminding the Jews, and the Jews would have been recalling all of these instances. Now, I was going through the history of the Jews. You are probably saying to yourself, well, there's a little more information there. And he's just giving an overview. And that's what we want to do when we hear these stories. We want to recall some of the specifics if we can. And it's good because that helps us to maintain the information of these stories. Now, in verse 9... We have Israel's rejection of Joseph. And it says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan bringing great suffering and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. Now keep in mind, they know this story and he's trying to point out something in this story here. He goes in verse 14, after this, Joseph sent his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in a tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. Now, just park right there. He brings up Joseph. Now, there are people that are the, the monikers. They are the pillars of the Hebrews and their faith in God. Joseph was certainly one of them, and he relates to Christ. And he picks Joseph, I think, specifically for this reason, and and because Joseph was similar to him, or similar to Christ. He was loved by the Father. 
Isaac loved him, or excuse me, Jacob loved him with a love that was just enduring and was just grief struck. And, and for a long time, he couldn't be consoled just as the father loves Jesus. And he was humbled as a servant, just as Jesus was a humble servant. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant in Philippians chapter two. He was sold for money. And also Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was falsely accused and Jesus was falsely accused. <clears throat> he was not recognized by his brother on the first visit jesus was not recognized by the jews on his first visit of course the disciples knew who he was he was exalted to the right hand of power pharaoh was like god the father to joseph and of course excuse me and of course jesus now sits at the right hand of the father and He's reunited with his family. Joseph was reunited with his brothers. We are going to be reunited with Jesus, and he's going to take us to be with him. And no sin of Joseph is ever mentioned. And Jesus was without sin. And I think this is, again, was by design, because Joseph is making a parallel between, or excuse me, it is Stephen that is making a parallel between Joseph and Jesus. Now, going on. In verse 17, it says, As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, a number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them <clears throat> being mistreated by Egyptian or by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Thank you so much. Give me a second here. Hopefully that helps. Verse 26. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses and, excuse me, appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy ground. 
I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and delivered by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. So that makes Moses 120 years old. You know, in my 60s, I'm going, oh, this is tough. And he was 120 years old and dealing with millions of people. Bless him for that. <clears throat> this is that Moses whom told the Lord, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. And they told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. And if you remember the story... They didn't know where Moses was. He was up on the mountain for 40 days. And of course, Moses, or Aaron lied to Moses when he said, you know, I threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. A total lie. He was trying to cover himself, the, the sin that he had gotten involved in. And of course, that's not going to be hidden from God. <clears throat> but they rejected Moses. Remember, they rejected Joseph. They rejected Moses and and. It was Jacob that rejected God, and he's setting up, he's establishing this train of, of rejection that the Israelites were involved in. But they're all still listening. They, their ears are pierced towards him, especially because of the way he looks, but now because of the words that he's saying. And then he goes on <clears throat> and talks about the prophets. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech and the stars of your God, Rephim, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. And in Amos chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert of house of Israel? You have lifted up a shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. So Stephen is just referring to these Old Testament stories, which all of them would have been very familiar with. Then our fathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. 
It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Do you remember why David was rejected by God the Father for building this temple? It was because he was a man that was given to war. His hands were filled with blood. And that, in God's estimation, made him disqualified. But who's the one that designed the temple? It was David. David gathered all the materials. He he set out which uh, clans of the Levites would go and serve in the temple. He was the one that designated the singers and the ones who would take care of everything and, and the, the builders. And he set all that up. He had all those plans ready to go for his son Solomon. And of course, he gave Solomon wisdom on how to bring all of this together. In verse 48, it says, however, the most high does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? If you think about it, how, if you look at the size of the universe, God is bigger than the size of the universe. And just the power that is in the universe. Now, they didn't know a lot of this back then. They knew that there was a couple of stars that moved in the sky, but they didn't know that they were planets that were out there along the plane of the ecliptic, which goes from east to west, and that's the path of the moon and the sun. That's what it travels. And all the planets are on that same line in the sky. But it is so vast. God is so big. He cannot dwell in a simple building. And that's why he's telling him, are you going to build something for me? You know, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And just contemplate that for a minute. They think that the universe is 13 and a half billion light years across, which is just, it's unfathomable. We can't even begin to comprehend how big it is. And you read about this stuff and you see like Hubble was responsible for telling us that every galaxy in the universe is moving away from each other. It's like it's expanding in all directions. And the ones that are the farthest out, they are expanding, or it seems that they are expanding at greater than the speed of light. But Einstein says you can't expand greater than the speed of light. But space can expand greater than the speed of light. And that's what's going on in our universe. If we started heading out to the farthest galaxy which is out there, we would never reach it. We would not be able to go fast enough to reach it. It's always going to be beyond, going to be beyond our reach. We can't do it, especially with what we have now. But could God do it? Well, he's there already. He's way out there in the universe. And look at us. We're looking to expand in the universe. Why? We're destroying this place. And you think we can go to another place and destroy that as well? And that's why God's limiting us to here. If Jesus would have come back and everything would have been restored, or if Adam and Eve had never taken the fruit, I believe we would be populating the entire universe and it would have never ended. It would have just gone on forever. But God says, nope. 
Everything is subject to decay now. And we cannot go out there and survive. Whether it's Elon Musk thinking he's going to go to Mars, people will die up there. If they go to Mars, they're going to go there and die. And unless they become moles inside of the center of Mars, they will not be protected from the radiation which is out there. And they will live in a cave for their entire lives, maybe occasionally going out. And the radiation that they experience, it'll give them cataracts and cancer and everything else. It's just not going to happen. And we think we're going to master the universe We're crazy to think that, and God's not going to let it happen. And are we going to make a place where God's going to come and dwell because he's bigger than all this, more powerful than everything in the universe? It's not going to happen. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, listen to this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. And whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. And whoever burns memorial incense, like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations so I also will choose harsh treatment for them and will bring upon them what they dread for then for when I called no one answered and when I spoke no one listened they did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me and so when Stephen is saying who will build a house for me the Jews who were in there would have reflected on Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1 and if they go all the way down to verse 4 there is a judgment coming because of their desire to worship idols and turn from God. You see how this is building? You see what he's doing? They would have known all of this stuff. Now, us today, we may not have recognized what Stephen was doing here. He's bringing an indictment on Israel. And he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. And so he starts out all congenial. Brothers, and he's talking, he probably puts his hands up like this and says, Brothers, and he gives them a history lesson. And then those hands go down, one finger goes up, and he says, You stiff necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your father, you always resist the Holy Spirit! Exclamation point. Now, what do you think they were feeling at that point? The, the rage was starting to rise in their hearts. This idea of being stiff-necked. What is being stiff-necked? Have you ever heard uh, what an ox goad is? An ox goad was almost like a spear. You could hold it in your hand. It was a little lightweight. On the end could be sharpened wood or metal or uh, brass, something like that. On the end, it would be very pointed. And it could also have a hook on it. And that hook could be sharp as well. And the person who was plowing a field with a couple of oxen would have to use that to keep the oxen in line. Because the oxen, you know, they're big and they're bulky and they're going to do what they want to do. And they have to be trained. And so they would use this ox goad and first they would hit the back legs of the ox. If they were going a little too slow, that would pick up the pace because they wouldn't like the sting of that little 
point it, and it could cause them to bleed a little bit, but he would poke them on the end of the legs to get them to hurry up. And then the hook that was on the side, he could reach out, and he could hit them on one side of the, the back hawk that was there and, and lead them in another direction because then they would, they would turn to the other direction because they wouldn't like the pain. Or if they had a long one, they could hit it on the neck, the same thing. And so they would use the ox goad on the neck of the ox because the ox had a stiff neck. And when he said, you are a stiff-necked people. You are like a bunch of oxen that are just going to go in their own direction and you won't listen to anything that God has to tell you and you are obstinate, you are uncircumcised in your hearts and your ears. In other words, they didn't want to open up their ears or their hearts to what God had to say. This is just obstinance to the nth degree. Just like, no, I won't do it and that's where they were even though they heard the words they would not receive them they would not go forward in verse 2 he continues the or 52 he continues the indictment it says was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and now you have betrayed and murdered him Ooh, that, that ox goad, it, it's just going right to their heart, piercing their hearts. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. And they thought they were experts at obeying the law. You know, they would, uh, Jesus accused them of straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The gnat is the smallest of unclean things. And the camel is the biggest of unclean things. He says, you, you strain out that gnat in your water or your drink because it's unclean, but you will go and swallow an entire camel, which he's referring to their hypocrisy. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, in verse 55, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, verse 56, look I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city to stone him. <clears throat> he, he definitely got their goat. He definitely accused them of killing the Messiah, which they should have known about. And all of these people in the past, whether it's the patriarchs or the the tribes and the nation of Israel, all rejected what God had to say. And he puts the final button on the, the sewing project there. You guys are the one that seals up the deal here. And it says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And of course, we know falling asleep for the believer in the New Testament is just a metaphor for dying. So he died, but he's not going to be dead for long. He's going to be resurrected just like all of them. And the thing that really gets me is... Just as Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. As Jesus is being crucified, he said that. Stephen does the same thing. Do not hold this sin against them. So what are we supposed to take away from all of this? Well, we have the story. 
We need to know the stories of the Old Testament. We need to know the stories of the New Testament. We're going through the book of Acts. That's 30 years plus of stories in the New Testament. We should know about Cornelius in 10 and 11 and chapter 19, the disciples of John the Baptist. And we need to know chapters 1 and 2 and how the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven and how Pentecost came and how the gifts were given and the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles. We need to know where those things are located in the scriptures and how the apostle Paul the second half of the book of Acts he is the one who rejected God but yet God reached out to him on the road to Damascus and transformed him into one of the greatest apostles that we know of because he gave us most of the New Testament we need to know these stories we need to know about the rejection of Joseph Moses prophets and the Holy Spirit that the Israelites were involved in so we don't repeat their mistakes and we're able to communicate this to the next generation. And then there was the verdict. They were stiff-necked, stubborn, untractable, not to be led, just like I told you of the ox goad. It was sharp and they had a a hook on it also that had a, a point. You can also say a synonym of this is stubborn. Now, how stubborn are you? I know that I can be terribly stubborn at times. Have you ever gone through and just looked at the synonyms for stubbornness or what it is to be stubborn? This is the definition. Having or showing dog determination not to change one's attitude or position on something, especially in spite of good arguments or reasons to do so. Even though somebody may be arguing with you and you give them good, solid reasons to believe what you're saying, they just said, nope. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Now, it just so happens this last week that I got on a, a little chat stream that was on there, and I came across this guy named, or his little address is at Shenanigans1985, which means he would be, if he's using that year for when he was born, he's probably 37 years old. And I, I was just noticing people commenting, and I decided to hop in there. Now, I don't often do that because oftentimes it's just fruitless to, to get in there. And endless, you could just be typing back and forth. And But occasionally, I'll do that. If I feel the Lord's telling me to do that, I, I get in there. And this is the text that's going on here. Uh, somebody said, God did not create evil. Evil was created by Satan. God is good. God cannot create evil. Only evil creates evil, but need to study the scriptures. This person says, LOL, I need to study. Okay, are you sure God didn't create evil? Maybe you are the one who needs to study. And this is shenanigans that's saying this. And then the person says, trust me, I know the scriptures. Went to church every Sunday. God did not create evil. Whoever this person is, that's what they said. And then shenanigans comes back and quotes Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7. It says, I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so it perked up my eyes a little bit. The person said, you are taking that out of context. And then I decided to add my little two cents. And this is what I said. Good job in your interpretation, dot, 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 not. Ecclesiastes 10.19, a feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. I don't think Isaiah 45.7 means what you think it means unless you believe money answers every problem. So that's what I put in there. 
he came back with a question. Does evil exist? And I, I told him that, I'm, I'm getting out of order here, but I told him that evil is a privation. And he said, well, does evil exist? What is a privation? And I said, privation is a lack. For example, rotten in a tree, rot cannot exist without the tree, just as evil cannot exist without good. You cannot go and buy a jar of rot at the store. So it is not a thing. It is a condition. It is a loss. Now, you've heard these arguments from me. He goes on to say, so Satan is a nice guy. He's just missing something. So why did God allow for that to happen? I thought, oh, I may be making an inroad here with this guy. I said, was, quotes, a nice guy. No longer. God allows free will to exist. He permits us to make wrong choices. If he imposed his will on us, it would violate his attribute of love. He wants people to love him freely. What does he say next? So God created evil. (laughs) And I said, you've missed it. Now, it's it's not long and, and drawn out. You only have so many words you can say here. I said, God created everything. I said, evil is not a thing. I said, evil in parentheses, lack or loss or privation is not a thing. Therefore, God did not create evil. What does he say next? He created everything, therefore he created evil. It's like I'm banging my head against the wall. Evil's not a thing. I'm trying to convince you here, and this is just a philosophical argument. I think you can grasp this. And I said, don't remain stubbornly ignorant. And I gave him uh, a reference to a book on Amazon, If God, Why Evil, by Norman Geisler. And when I said, don't remain stubbornly ignorant, this is what he said. No, I won't. God created everything. Therefore, evil, rape, hunger, murder, he created everything. So what do you think I said? I said, wow. Okay. And then I gave him a quote. There is no one so blind as those who will not see Edmund Burke. Have it your way. And so I I just, okay, you can go in your own direction. And that is not only the Israelites that are like that. We can be like that as well. We can just be so stubborn. We will not move. When it comes to eschatology, you know, I'll have good discussions. And not mean-spirited, but good discussions with people. And they will just be stiff-necked. They will, even though I give them reasonable scriptures and historical context for these things, they will not change their mind. They will not be moved. They are stubborn. And so what do we have here that we're supposed to deal with? What are we supposed to remember when it comes to the application? Of course, it's the story. And it's the verdict. They were stubborn, not willing to move. And then there is this idea of the stoning. You know, thousands, maybe millions of people have been killed for their testimony about Jesus, and we will be persecuted. In John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25, if we truly are a witness for Jesus, the world will hate us because they hated Jesus first, the the world, the people in the world. And you don't have to go very far. You can go online and you can see how there's just this vitriol, this hatred towards Christians who are out there who want to live by the Judeo-Christian standard. And it's permeating throughout our country right now. And we need to be aware that not, quote-unquote, stoning can happen to us, but certainly persecution. And then the final thing that I take away from this that I really already mentioned was Stephen, in the midst of being killed, asked God not to hold this crime against his own murderers. 
I'm just going to confess, I find that hard to do because, you know, I also dwell on this body of flesh. To not take retribution, to not go against somebody else who is doing me or my family harm, uh, and not wanting to go and it, it's like the cities of refuge were set up in the Old Testament. If somebody killed someone accidentally and a family member of that person could go and kill that individual unless they ran to a city of refuge where the case could be adjudicated. And if that person still killed them, then they would be accused of murder and they could be capitalized as well. But that's the heart of not only the Israelites, but I believe that's the heart of all of us when we see unrighteousness like that. And when we just desire justice to be installed, we want to do that. But Stephen just looked up to heaven and, you know, basically God received my spirit and he was stoned to death. And I don't, I don't know if you guys know what stoning is like, if you read accounts of that. It's not just taking a small rock and throwing it. They would take cobblestones. And they would throw it at the individual and they would try to go for the head. And they would just try to kill that person. That's what they did to Stephen. And they said, and Stephen said to them, or said to God, please forgive them. You know, may we understand the stories. May we not be stiff-necked and in need of goading. May we be willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. May God place within us, all of us the heart that he placed in Stephen for forgiveness and grace. Let's pray. Father, uh, there's so much in this story, so much history, so much to know, so much to comprehend. Our minds are finite and you are the infinite. We thank you that you've reached out to us with these tremendous stories, whether it's John the Baptist, your son Jesus, or Stephen here. Father, may you give us that heart all the more so during Christmas time. We know that it is a season, but may that season for us be perpetual, never ending. We thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, your kindness, Lord. In Jesus' name, we give you this praise. And everyone said, Amen. Please stand. <clears throat>